Let's pray. Holy Spirit, center us now in this moment that we might hear you, hear your word to us. Open our hearts, O God. Open the ears of our hearts that we might hear, that we might know, and that we might respond to you. Amen. Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion on the matter, says the preacher. For almost three months, we have sojourned in the book of Ecclesiastes. At times, we have slogged through its teaching, doing our best to hear the words of the preacher and their attempt to make sense of the named meaninglessness of life. We have also had opportunity to hear the preacher's words, giving us time to talk about concrete topics such as friendship and money and time and worship that have been instructive and brought, can I say breath, to this study. We have learned much. Today we stand at the threshold saying goodbye to the preacher and his instruction. But before we do, we need to give ear to his final word to us. Fear God and keep his commandments. As much as Ecclesiastes has not given a lot of attention to describing our relationship with God, nor given or taken opportunity to hear the utterance of prayers in which we can join, hear the preacher after 12 chapters of rambling thoughts, lots of ramble, ramble, ramble thoughts, is pointed, is really pointed in his summary of all the book's lessons. Pastor Laura last week imagined the preacher in chapter 12 as an old man, an elder of his community, brimming with wisdom, not because, this is my addition to her comments, not because of his embrace of a holy life and the example of the same, but his gleaning of what is good from a life that has been full of indulging in the world's pleasures. Having tried many and various ways to drink of life's marrow, all fleeting, all meaningless, the preacher now concludes with simple instruction. Fear God and keep his commandments. His words ring true like a good old-fashioned testimony of a man or a woman who has made life choices that have led one far down the path away from God. 
finding life itself coming up short through use of maybe substances or sex or work or money to numb pain, or, on the other hand, give a sustained sense of arousal. I'm going to live up here. Blah, 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 blah. The testimony gives witness to seasons of turning away, yet now describes the freedom in returning towards love's, life's loving source. Yet, there is no implicit or explicit or anything clear about this for the preacher. It's not like a come-to-Jesus moment in the preacher's tale. He doesn't give us that insight. Instead, like so much of Ecclesiastes' wisdom, we have watched his slow and tedious dawning discovery as he has experimented and grappled with life's meaning and purpose. And now, here, we are led once again to a familiar-sounding refrain ringing in our ears. Look up, beloved ones. Look up. Our God is here. Bow low to your creator. Follow his path. Remember. Remember. As the words from Psalm 19, 9 through 10 name, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Yes, sweetness. Sweet like honey. The old preacher's wisdom and understanding pierces the uncertainty that he has named over and over and over again. It pierces that uncertainty. Before God, we do not shake. We do not shake. We are found on solid ground firmly secure. In these days, we have not only watched and listened to the preacher give us glimpses of his trial and error approach to exploring life's meaning, but we have also been invited in to hold the tension of the what is seasons of our own days. To live life to live life according to the truth of Ecclesiastes is to embrace all of it, all of it, the highs and the lows, the pain and the joy, the beginnings and the endings. Our life is fleeting, so live now in this moment the abundant life which is to you promised. Our life, our life is not to be experienced in tomorrow's dream of what could or might be, but it is available today in what we can taste and enjoy. 
All of it, all of it is the abundant life. The planting and the reaping, the peace and the battle, the sorrow and the joy. But admittedly, we don't always believe that. Oh, preacher, you have given us much to swallow in these days. We go on. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. In the last instruction of Ecclesiastes, we not only are told to fear God, know that God is God and we are not, but also that God will judge. Now, I think judge and judgment to us, our modern ears, are really strong. They're strong words. For most of us, our inner response to their use is to cower and hide. The use of the words may even elicit feelings of guilt. We immediately can access that for things we have done. Or shame, things we feel that are wrong about the essential of who we are. We immediately look for the cleft of the rock to shelter in. Where can I hide? Where can I run? Or the high tower to protect us. For some of us, we may shut down. That's how we respond and dissociate. The feelings I'm feeling are just too big. I don't know what to do with that judge and judgment sort of concept. The judgment of God is coming. The hidden things will be revealed. And we stand naked. Yikes. I am afraid. I am very afraid. <laughs> nice words to end with, preacher. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can't you give us a summary statement that's lovely that we can enter into? With our anxiety rising and our limbic system going into overdrive, let's take a few deep breaths. Life is breath, so I've heard. Life is breath. Allowing our heart rate to slow down a bit. Okay, we can do this. I imagine as we end the the books, this book's life lesson, the preacher is entrusting to us, with us, something that we are ready and prepared to receive. I don't think he could have begun here. He could have, but he didn't. His wandering escape from meaninglessness to meaninglessness has proven, I think, that if, if he can say, if he can say, if the preacher can say forthrightly that God will judge, crazy preacher man, 
what have you done? If he can say that God will judge, we don't have to run with fear. If anyone should fear the judgment of God, I think it would be the preacher. Time, time again, the preacher reminds us of our God who ultimately holds all of time in his hands, the beginning and the end. In his holding of time, he holds us. The Almighty, who is the Alpha and the Omega, is not now using the preacher's words to somehow trick us into some kind of unhealthy sub submission, threatening, threatening a terrible demise at the end of our days. That's not what I think these words say to us. Yes, the truth is our deeds will be weighed and taken into account. The scripture teaches us that. But I want to say the weighing and the judging, the weighing and the judging is like that of tested metal. The impure is separated from the pure. The good is revealed as well as the evil. We as Christians know about the evil. That's why we need a savior. That is why we need grace. We have not been abandoned to our own devices, but have been given a way to live fully, abundantly, through the one whose own self-revelation includes being the way the way, the truth, and the life. The weighing, the judging, the weighing of all things is done mercifully and gracefully. I don't know about you, but when I know that someone loves me, and somebody loves me, and they come to me with truth, even when the words are difficult to hear. That love, that relationship of love, makes even the hard word, I will say the judging word, the, the word that weighs, makes that word a gateway to freedom. A gateway freedom. I imagine the judgment of God to be that, but a million times more. A million times more. In the face of the one who can remove the weight of guilt and shame, I am left with the experience of God's goodness and mercy alive in me when I come to that place of weighing before him.
But there is another truth here about judgment, and I think this is what the preacher would want us to hear. When the world around us does not make sense to us, when the evil seems to rule the day, God will weigh this too. Ecclesiastes 4.1, again I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. We can be assured in this word there will be a day from whence Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. The unseen, all of it, the unseen, will be seen in the light of grace, but also in truth. Our role until then, though, so we can entrust that to Jesus, we can entrust that to him. Our role until then is to look up and trust God, a God who knows the past and the present and the future and will order all things rightly, those things in our world that we don't get, those things in a world that make us crazy, those things in our world that make us grieve. Because today, we do only see through a glass darkly. So church, let's not get transfixed on the wrong, the evil, the suffering, or Ecclesiastes' words to us. We may miss the good. Until the final end of all things, the abundant life is meant to be received and lived. It's supposed to be received and then lived. If the book has taught us anything, it is that we need to live life now, as imperfect as it is. Don't wait until pie in the sky come by and by. Nope, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not what this book is saying. Because you may miss the gorgeous, delightful, loving life that our creator intends for us now. You may miss it. Life is now. Life is right now. Today we live. So plant your feet firmly on the earth, dear church. Plant your feet firmly on the earth. Look up and breathe deep. I'm going to attempt to do something I haven't done before here. And I'll preface it with a story. Um, Most of you know this. My mom died when I was 11. And um, one of the things that she planned for me before she died was that I would go to camp. So um, we had, you know, 
I was a fifth grader. Yeah, I was a fifth grader. And so it was, you know, time, I had the opportunity to go camp for the first time. So we had planned out the camp, registered for camp, did all that sort of thing. And um, so um, my mom died at the beginning of August, August 3rd. And the week that I went to camp was the following week. So, you know, my dad drove me to camp and dropped me off. Little fifth grade girl who just lost her mom. Um, so this camp sang crazy camp songs. It wasn't Covenant Bible camp. It was a other camp. And we sang songs that I won't even tell you the words to because they're so ridiculous. <laughs> but there was a song that I was introduced to um, that week at camp that um, to this day just is right here in my heart. And this particular song that was sung, I think, by Campfire and... Um, you know, it was just, anyway, it's one of those camp moments. Ministered to my little girl heart and um, has been a song that has been a refrain for me throughout my life. And so um, it immediately after the week at camp, my dad picked me up and we went on a, I don't know, two week, three week road trip to see my grandpa and then my aunt. And so in the car, I took this camp song with me, and I sat in the backseat of a, you know, whatever it was. I don't know what it was, Fairlane. I don't know what we were driving at that time. And sang the song over and over and over again. So context, that's the context of the song. <coughs> but I... Um, I offer you this song because I think it summarizes the truth of Ecclesiastes. Um, and so here, here is the refrain. Today While the blossoms still cling to the vine, I'll taste your strawberries, I'll drink your sweet wine. A million tomorrows will all pass away ere I forget all the joys that are mine to Day. Jesus made the lessons of Ecclesiastes shape us and form us and hold us. 
we ask this in Jesus' name.